This morning's sermon will be based on chapters 27 and 28 of Acts. Therefore, we will have two readings this morning. The first is Acts 27, 27 through 44, which starts on page 1704 in the Pew Bible. The other is Acts 28, 11 through 31, which begins on page 1705. Here is the reading from Acts 27, 27 through 44. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the light boat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This is at the bottom of 1705. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had learned that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Towers to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, 
We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They agreed to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seen but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks, Libby. Um, we were uh, uh, listening to her, and then... Uh, Mike Beresford is sitting right behind us and he said, who, who is that young lady? She reads with such poise. And it's just an awesome thing when we have our teenagers who are investing their time uh, to minister uh, in big church, right? And I just believe that by getting our young people to serve here, we're preparing them when they go to college and beyond. And so uh, I, I always like time to applaud our young folks when they get the opportunity to serve us. Um, before we dive into the unsinkable faith, I just want to give a few instructions about um, the fast that we are going to start on Monday evening after dinner at 7 o'clock. So eat your regular schedule on Monday, and if you're going to be able to join us by fasting from food, and I recognize that some of you uh, won't be able to, that it's not healthy for you to fast from food, that's perfectly fine. Maybe you might want to fast from coffee or cell phones or television, choose the most, uh, the thing that would cause you the most uh, to sacrifice and, and use that if you can't do food. The rest of you uh, join us with that. Uh, eat regularly. Uh, when you go, if you have to work, bring your Bibles or your favorite music and use your lunchtime to feed on Christ. And so the idea is to turn away from food and to turn to Jesus and develop a greater hunger for the things, uh, for the word of God, for prayer. And, and by all means, if there's anybody who uh, you know you need to pray for and you haven't been praying as diligently as you should have, I think about some folks I know um, back in Illinois who have cancer and I don't always pray for them daily. This is a great time to expand your prayer list and pray for those people all day on uh, Tuesday and then come and rejoice with us on Tuesday evening at seven. Um, and when you come off the fast, don't eat all 2,500 calories at dinner, right? <laughs> that go off the fast with a, with a normal uh, meal. We'll have some food for you here at the church afterwards and then just have a normal meal. And the reason that I take a little time to talk about fasting is that we'll do this uh, four times this year. So this will be our second time, but we'll also do one three months later. We'll ask you to come uh, to fast with us again. And the idea is a hunger for Christ. That's really what we're after. 
and by setting aside temporal things. Um, we're gonna, this is the seventh in the installment on the unsinkable faith. Uh, Nick has been, uh, and I have been preaching on this subject over these weeks. The first week we said, don't give up, don't be afraid, God is with you. This is the, the source of our faith is that we have a God who promises to never leave us or forsake us. That's why our, our faith is unsinkable. Secondly, you need the Holy Spirit. That the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that you don't do this thing on your own. That we repent and place our faith in Christ and he gives us the free gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do. Like obey him, like serve each other, like raise our children, like, like work in some not great workplaces, like, like deal with difficulties because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the hope we have of the resurrection, we have power and we can do things other folks can do. And third, thirdly, we uh, stay on course because the gospel was built for opposition. It doesn't take but a week of serving Jesus to recognize that this is not easy. You know, any, anybody who's been um, trying to live a righteous and holy life uh, working against your own selfish desires and dealing with the nature of the world recognizes that we've got opposition, but the gospel is designed to overcome opposition, right? Greater is he who, that is in us than he that is in the world, amen? And so, and then fourth, we work for peace through sacrifice, that, that there is um, a large part of what we do, the example that Jesus gives us is that we have salvation through the sacrifice of his life. And it's through our sacrifices that some people will come to Christ. Now you need a crew, not a clique. That is to say the Christian life isn't done by itself. One of the reasons why we come and we fellowship in church and listen to sermons and we go to adult Bible classes and we huddle in small groups and we meet for coffee is that we need to do this work together. That we were put into a body, that we don't stand alone. We're not isolated. Our power comes in our unity in Jesus Christ. We need a, a, a crew, not a clique. And, and last week, uh, Nick talked about waste nothing, especially hardship, that there are difficulties, that in those difficulties, God is building character in us and doing great things for others through our difficulties. So this morning, we're gonna talk about living in freedom because God is in control. One of the main themes that I've been pondering as I've been reading Paul's experience really once he got to the Ephesian elders and where he tells the Ephesian elders that he's got to go to Jerusalem and he knows the Holy Spirit has told them that he's going to have great difficulty and be in prison there. And, and, and despite all that, he wants to do God's will. He wants to preach Christ to in Jerusalem. And if God will send him to Rome, he wants to preach in Rome. That's, that's his ultimate de desire. And, and the thing that get, keeps him going is that he knows that it's God that's in control. That's the source of his faith. Um, he says this to us in Ephesians chapter one. He says, God is he who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. One of the reasons we can witness, one of the reasons we don't worry about our souls is because we believe that God is going to come and return for his people like he said he, he is. Acts 17 and 28, it, Paul says, it's in, in him, in Christ, that we live and move and have our being. We are not self-sufficient, self-directed. We recognize that it's God who created us 
for him and that we're most satisfied when we're, we're living to glorify him. In Proverbs 21 30 says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And so when we, you recognize that God is in control of, our, of all of our affairs, he set the world in motion, he will bring it, his intended purposes to pass. It brings you tremendous freedom. The source of Paul's freedom is this, is what God has said to him. While in the midst of difficulties, while the Jews are trying to kill him, God makes specific promises that helps him go over the seas and, and the difficulties of a difficult life in ministry. Acts 23 and 11, the following night, he, the, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. And, but that evening, the Lord came to him and assured him that indeed he was going to testify to the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, in the capital of the world, Rome. And on that confidence in Christ, he exercised great freedom. So much so that foolish leaders who didn't listen to his wise counsel when they were on the choppy seas, the scriptures, uh, some people have studied the scriptures and they say on the Mediterranean, Paul spent as many as 13 different voyages that he was an expert around knowing how to safely make it through on the sea. And so he warned them out of his experience on the Mediterranean that it was too late in the season, too close to winter to go and they just completely ignored him. And he's, but he's undaunted because of the promise of 23 and 11. He's undaunted about the sea voyage and the 14, can you imagine, 14 nights of darkness, no sunlight and no stars, and, and hurricane force winds. I couldn't make it through one night. A shipwreck on the island of Malta, a deadly snake bite that should have put him to death, that she should have died from and a rejection of his message by his people. All of these things he's undaunted because to live in, because he learns how to live in freedom because God is in control. Now this is the charge that I have for all of us. This is the, the, the theme of this morning's message. Live in freedom because God is in control. We belong to Christ. He's the freest agent in the whole universe. He loves us. He's given us a purpose and you can be free in that. But the nature of our spiritual freedom is different than what, what some might think. So what is freedom? It's union with Christ. It's the fact that when we repent and when we um, receive the free gift of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are forever in union in Christ. And that brings us a great freedom. And that's, but that doesn't mean that we have a self-directed life. And so traditionally as Americans, when we think about freedom, we think about self-direction. Freedom spiritually is union with Christ. Secondly, power to do what is good, just, and true. That now through the Holy Spirit, we can deal, we don't have to be captive to our own longings, to the, to, to the natural yearnings of the flesh, that we can say no to carnal things and yes to godliness because now we're in Jesus Christ, that we've got power but it's not licensed to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That's what freedom is not. And thirdly, freedom from, it's freedom from worry about temporal needs and eternal destiny. I like to talk to young people who are thinking about careers. And I want to say to you, think about what spiritual gifts you have. Think about what, who you can serve as you begin to think about your career. 
Think less about your, your money and your financial stability. In my generation, that was the big lie of the devil. And so I, I'll be honest with you, I chose my career because of what was, how I was gonna get paid. And I, you know, I chose schools on that basis. What school would make me most marketable, right? And what God is saying to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, uh, the pagans, the pagans, the unbelievers run after all those things. But you, you seek God and his kingdom first and all these things will be given over to you. That is one of the most precious promises in the whole Bible, Jason and Jared. One of the most pressing, precious promises in the whole Bible is that you don't have to worry about what you're gonna eat, but serve Jesus first. So these, this is freedom. And the, op, the, the absence of freedom is when you're worried about your job and whether, whether you're gonna eat and whether people like you. Worry is not freedom. And so living in freedom results in three things. It results in speaking the truth in all situations. We see Paul exercising this principle. Even though he is a prisoner, he speaks truth to power and to anyone who will listen. Secondly, experiencing joy along life's uncertain journey. That even in difficulties and uncertainties, Paul experiences rejoicing and joy and we have the same opportunity. And thirdly, persevering in the midst of stiff opposition. So these are the three things I wanna talk about this morning. First, living in freedom results in speaking the truth in all situations. John Stott says this. He says, Paul was under military surveillance this whole time from Caesarea to Rome. There is Julius who is a centurion. There are other prisoners accompanying Paul as they on this route. And he's, he's a prisoner. In fact, when he gets to Rome and he's in the rented home, he is actually locked by his wrist to, to the guard. So he is totally under military surveillance the entire trip from Caesarea to Rome. And in Rome, he is chained to his guard. Though his hand was bound, his mouth was open for Jesus Christ. Though he was chained, the word of God was not. And that, that principle applies to all of us. And, and some of us are concerned about our religious liberties. What I wanna say to you is though, yeah, indeed in, in we may be imprisoned and that there are consequences, but the gospel is free. Maybe some of our personal liberties might be restricted, but the gospel's power will go forward, amen? We need to recognize that you, you, we have the right, no one can take from us our authority to share the awesome promises of God that are in his word. Nobody can take that away from us. The word of God is totally free. And there are four major examples of this in the, in the text where we see Paul, who is the captive and who is the prisoner, speaking freely, regardless of who, who is, um, his captors are. Acts 12 and 27 and 10 says this, Paul warns the centurion that continuing to sail risks loss of life. He gives them examples. Listen. Paul is the captain of the ship. Did you know that? He's more influential and more powerful. Let me show you. Acts 27, 21 through 28. This is on page 1704. Paul, God has given Paul the lives of all 276 passengers. Paul is speaking, God is speaking to Paul, not to the captain and not to the centurion. Verse 21 of Acts 27 says this, 1704. After they had gone a long time without food on the ship, 14 days without light, no food. The previous text says they had given up on life. Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. I like that. 
The first thing he says is, when I gave you the warning before, you should have listened. But nonetheless, then you would have spared yourselves this, this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Check that out. So he's the prisoner, the centurion with a hundred soldiers. He has no liberty, but God is operating with his authority. In God's mind, Paul is the freest man on the boat. Listen, Paul, because you're on assignment for me, you are gonna make it to Rome. I don't care about the seas. You're gonna make it through the seas. And the 276 people, I'm giving, I'm decreeing that they will live because I said the providence of God. And Paul just believes, and he believes so much that he boldly tells them, he said, listen, don't worry about your life. The ship is gonna be lost. It's carrying all this cargo. The, 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 the grain gonna be lost, but you're gonna live. That's freedom in Christ Jesus. That's proof that he was the captain of, the, of this boat. So keep on up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I like God's justice. It's like they ignored the counsel, so there will be consequences. But I'm going to, uh, Paul, I'm going to give you your, your life. Because of you, because of the mission I'm going to give you, you will make it there. So he's free, though he's a captive. And then Paul tells the centurion, the sailors, that, 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 that they are, they're thinking of abandoning the ship. They want to jump off the ship. And Paul says to them, he, he issues a real quick order. He tells the centurion, if they jump off the ship, we all going down. God gave me very specific instructions. Here's how we're all going to live. Everybody's going to stay on this ship. We're going to run into a sandbar and we're going to have to swim to the shore. That's the plan. Are you on board? Got it. And finally, they're like, yeah, this guy, he's in charge. Hey, listen, sailors, stay on the boat. And then lastly, he gives this decree. He recognizes that the people are, uh, it, it, it's 14, 14 days without food, and they're going to have to, some of them are going to have to swim maybe a mile or two to shore. And he says, listen, you've got to eat. So he takes some food. Now, he's been eating the whole time because he's free. But they haven't been eating. And so he takes some food thanks God, and, and breaks it, and immediately, finally, the soldiers get it, and they're encouraged, and they recognize that God is going to do what he has said, and th there's peace there. We've got to learn how to speak the truth to power. Now, about three years ago, my wife turned me on to this show, Downton Abbey. It, it has become, so some, yeah, give Downton Abbey, uh, there's, some, there's, some, there's some people who read their Bible out there, you know, who, who know the truth. And so, so Downton Abbey is this show set in 1919 through 1925, and it is about this, um, this English uh, family of landlords, the Crawleys, and they own this great estate. And their chief butler actually is the wisest man there. His name is Mr. Carson, Mr. Carson. Now, Mr. Carson is a servant, but in the Lord, his Lord's house, he's free. Don't miss this. Mr. Carson is a servant. 
But in the Lord's house, in Mr. Crawley's house, he's free. He's free to, to speak truth in all situations and in all times. One of the reasons why he's my favorite character is he doesn't, it doesn't matter who the situation is. It doesn't matter that the Earl of Grantham, wifey, runs the place. If something needs to be said, if a truth needs to be shared, Mr. Carson is going to share it. And what I so, want to say to us is that we have the same freedom we have the same priestly royalty. We have the same, we have the message of Christ in us. And we are free to, 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 to share that message. But there's an obstacle. All of us have this same authority. I don't have time to look at Matthew 28, where Jesus has given the church authority to share his gospel. But something gets in the way. And that something that gets in the way is fear. We have this fear of being ostracized. We have this fear of losing our jobs. That, you know, I can't, I can't share Christ when God gives me an open door at the workplace because I might lose my job. We have the fear of losing our friends. And in Paul's case, and in some of our missionaries' cases, when they go into the Islamic world or when they go into the former Soviet Union, they could, they could lose their life legitimately. But there's got to be something, when you believe in the providence of God, there's, you also believe that there's something more important than your life. The only real antidote to this legitimate fear is the belief that Jesus is greater than life itself. Nick talked about this last week. Acts 21 and 13, Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. So that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. For to me to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. If we're gonna be free in this newer generation in America where we no longer can depend that the nation's values are Judeo-Christian values, we're gonna have to live freer than we ever have before. We're gonna have to share, use our authority in Christ more liberally, with more gentleness and truth, with more boldness than before when we could assume that some people were familiar with their Bibles and we could assume that some of the basic values of Christianity that everyone shared. What I'm saying to you is that we've gotta exercise our freedom. It's more important for us to recognize that we're free in Christ now than maybe any time before in American history. And in the, in the Bible, there's this one story to me that summarizes this really well. It's after the Jewish people are in exile in Babylon and they take some of the, the finest young men in all of Jerusalem and they make them officials and they train them and they prepare them for service to the king. And the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon sets up this idol it's a golden statue, it's beautiful. And he says, when the sounds and music are played, everybody in this kingdom must bow down and worship the statue. And this happens, the music is played, everybody bows down in the whole kingdom, all of the native citizens and all the foreigners bow down except these three. And some officials see this and they're jealous. They're like, this is outright just stubbornness against the king. How, how dare they? So they go to the king. Didn't you get, issue this decree? Yeah, I issued this decree. Well, there's these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These Jews from Israel, they, they, don't, they don't bow down. 
And listen to what these three men say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So check this out. Grace, King Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll see how he upholds their position, his position, always respectful, but then always the truth. Listen, we don't have to defend ourselves. We know what the first commandment is. We shall not put any God before the Lord our God. We know what the first commandment is. We don't have to defend ourselves, but for your sake, we will. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. See that respect again. God is gonna do what he's going to do, and we recognize that, we're, that you have power. God, listen, we may have to relinquish some of our liberties, but not the truth, right? We, we, we have to relinquish some of our liberties, but we never have to relinquish the truth of the gospel. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your, your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty three times. King, your majesty, even if he does not, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And so the king is furious and he gets the furnace 20 times hotter. And the, the, the soldiers bind them in their turbans and in their, their, in their official gear, binds them up. And, and, and while they are in a rush to throw them into the fire, the scripture tells us that the soldiers die, but not Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They are tossed into the fire. And the king looks in there, he's sitting down, he looks in there, he looks, oh my God. He says, there's three of them walking, there's four of them walking around, and the fourth is a son of the gods. Looks like a son of the gods. Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. That's just because God is with us. And he will defend us when we stand upon his word. He'll defend us in the midst of our most difficult trials. We ought not be afraid. This is a time in America, as a Christian pastor, if you a punk, if you're scary, this isn't a good time to be in my profession because we've got to tell the truth. You as a Christian, you've got to use all tact and all respect, just like these three men have done. But when you're called upon, you need to share the truth. Let the consequences fall where they may. Let Jesus handle the consequences. We got to live in freedom. Our lives begin and to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Let's not be silent about the things that matter. We need to live in freedom because it's God who's in control of our lives and our circumstances, not anyone else. We're individually not in control. We work in collaboration with God and his spirit, but he's in control. He's the one we're depending on for our eternal life and our personal welfare. He's the one we're depending on. Now, living in freedom, last point, results in experiencing joy about life's uncertain journey. Acts 28, 14 through 15. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. So they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And so the port was somewhere between 30 and 40 miles away from Rome. And the Christians hearing that Paul was coming, walked all the way, traveled all the way from Rome to go and visit him. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So Paul rejoices over a fulfilled promise from God. I like the way Proverbs 13 and 12 says it. 
Some of us have been waiting on big promises from God. Some of us have been praying for relatives to come to Christ. Some of us have a sense that God is going to do certain things through their ministry or their personal life, and they're waiting for this. So what, what happens here is Paul has been longing to get to Rome. He staked everything on the fact that God was going to keep his promise to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, not before when he gets to Malta, this is really interesting, not when he gets to the beach in Malta. He doesn't get off the beach and kiss the ground in Malta. And he doesn't so much thank God when he saves the, the father of one of the officials on the island. That doesn't, get, that doesn't move him. But when he senses that God has confirmed and completed uh, his promise to him, that is when he thanks God. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is a longing of Paul's life. And I want, I, I want to suggest that we Christians... One of the biggest areas of scripture that we ignore, that we violate, is this one. Philippians 4 and 4 says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I feel like one of the weakness of American Christianity is that we fail to rejoice enough about what God is doing in our lives. When is the last time you just had a temporal party just, just because of God doing a blessing in your life. We need to rejoice more. Earlier, Pastor Nick talked about him seeing uh, three, four people come to Christ, him seeing a resurgence of energy in prayer, especially in our 20 to 30-something worshipers. I'm seeing a renewed passion for Jesus that is showing itself out in prayer. I'm seeing them show up to worship and worship even if we in the congregation don't want to worship. They're, they seem to be undaunted. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful thing that God is doing. We're hearing about answered prayers. I know of two different prayer movements at our church that have started in, in recent times here at High Point Church. God is moving and we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice when we see God's kingdom expanding. We need to rejoice when we are worshiping together. I'm seeing some stuff happen on our staff that have given me reason for re rejoicing. Now, we've got a relatively young staff, people like Jill and, um, and Aaron. This is their first year in ministry. And when I see a Jill getting more and more confidence, having made a major career shift to now being almost the, the voice of High Point Church, and her getting more comfort in that role, I rejoice in seeing what God is doing. Uh, Luke is one of our pastoral interns. Uh, I went to men's ministry to hear him, him preach. He did a phenomenal job. And when I see the passion that God has, him, the passion for the word of God and how he's advancing in his preaching. In fact, Nick has to watch out because another church, New Crossings, wants to hire him. He's doing so good. We need to rejoice in watching God do work in our, in our midst. When we see people that we know growing in Christ, when we see our children becoming more faithful, even in my own self, I rejoice. In my own preaching, I called a buddy of mine about a month ago and I said, you know what? I said, Kenny, it's taken me way too long to prepare sermons. And I'm, I'm, I'm preparing 20 hours and I just feel, I never feel ready. He said, Lord, you gotta prepare but you gotta remember that God is in you. You gotta, you gotta leave room for the Holy Spirit in your preaching. And that, that totally kind of revolutionized my thinking. And, I, and I'm, I'm preaching with more freedom. 
Even a bad sermon like this, I, I, I was free in delivering it. I was free in delivering it. The point of it is, is that we've got to learn how to rejoice when we see God doing his work in our lives. And not just the major things, but sometimes the, the, the minor ordinary things in life. Have a rejoicing heart. Enjoy creation because God is in control and we belong to him. We need to learn how to live in freedom because of Christ and his work in our lives. Because living in in freedom produces perseverance in the midst of stiff opposition. Stiff opposition. One can say that this is all that Paul knew in his ministry. Hardships rehearsed here. First leg didn't make it to port. Paul told the men not to keep going, but they did. Multiple weeks on the stormy sea, lose their cargo, have to, have to swim for shore, abandon ship. Paul gets bitten by a viper, but I think the most important opposition that Paul faced was the fact that his fellow Jews, very few of them received Christ. Very few of them. This is why I come to that conclusion. In Romans uh, 12, excuse me, nine verses one through three, Paul says this. The biggest anguish in his life wasn't all those things and the fact that he almost died. The biggest anguish is that most of his people didn't believe him. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could, with that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. I happen to be in a family where Five kids, my mom knows Jesus, my dad uh, died. I don't think, I'm not sure that he ever did know him. And um, I'm not certain about the salvation of my brothers and sisters. Some of you are in that place. Raise your hand if you're in that place. All right, I'm not alone. And uh, I've had a chance to witness to them for, for years. In fact, this past Christmas, um, all but one of my brothers and sisters had a chance to hear me preach at my mom's church in Chicago. And I'm just not sure that they've received the free gift of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not sure that they got it yet. And this is, this is anguish. I mean, I could lead, I don't know, a hundred people to Christ, but if my, my, my brothers and sisters, I mean, my oldest brother and I were like, we're thick as thieves. And it's tremendous anguish that in one of the most precious areas of my life, I have no fellowship with my brothers and sisters, my faith. So this is devastating to him. This is his most severe opposition. It's not that the, that the Jews wanted to kill him and all this stuff, it's that they won't believe and, and that they won't inherit eternal life. But in the midst of problems and disappointments, there was also great progress. Let me show you what I mean. Acts 28, 28 to 31. Therefore, I want you to know he's finishing his sermon to the Jews, and as usual, only a handful are believing, and he has to give them a decree. He said, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For, for two whole years, freedom, Paul stayed in his own rented house, chained to the guard, and welcomed all who came to him and shared the gospel with each and every person that came. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul perseveres in ministry of, of sharing the gospel because he has this unsinkable faith in Christ. 
And it comes to him, he talks about this to Timothy. He says this to Timothy, his main protege. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have trusted to him until that day. There's a couple of things that we've got to know. You've got to know to whom you belong and you've got to know what you're here to do. One of the reasons why like, I've respected my wife is because she was in Christ before I, I was. But one of the things that when we started dating, I knew in our relationship, young guys, you're looking for a spouse, that Jesus was first. Wifey has always known, at least since I've known her, that she was a Christian and that she had a ministry. And her ministry is gospel music so that I am fully confident that if I drop dead right now, praise the Lord that doesn't happen, that wifey, if she is up for, if she's up to be singing in two weeks here at High Point, you bet your bottom dollar she's gonna have herself up here and it'll be with a smile in her face. And because she's depending on Jesus, she's not depending on Lloyd. She knows to whom she belongs and she knows what her message is. And what I'm trying to tell you is that's what the source of freedom is for you. You've got to know, today we're in a period when you've got to know your gospel, you've got to know that you're saved, you've got to know that you are called to share Christ with other folks. If you've got that down pat, it doesn't matter what comes against you, that you can get back up and get back on mission in sharing Christ with the world. Do you know that today? My, 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 I fear that most Christians aren't living the kind, with the kind of freedom that Paul exercised. That we haven't given up everything. It's time for March Madness. And the guys will be playing basketball like they'll never play again. Some of them, this will be the last time they play. And they're gonna put everything on the floor. Coach is gonna say, everything on the floor. So this is a time for us Christians when we gotta put everything on the floor for Jesus, and we gotta exercise the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The story of Paul ends, the history basically says that he did die in Rome, but he knew whom his redeemer was. And he left us this rich heritage of faith. And this next testament is going forward with power through us because of Christ who lives in us. Amen? Amen. So living in freedom means that we gotta speak the truth, we gotta enjoy Jesus, and we gotta persevere in the midst of stiff opposition. We live in freedom because God is in control, not us. God is in control. Let us pray. Lord, uh, I recognize that some of us have a hard time uh, experiencing joy because of the difficult circumstances our life finds itself in right now. We got troubles in our marriages, we have troubles with our children, troubles on the job. Um, but Father, I'm asking for you to confirm in our spirits once again that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, that we will have ultimate victory over all of our opposition. And, and maybe we don't see perfect uh, victory in this life, but we certainly will when we see you face to face. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.